I invite you to take your Bibles and to turn with me to Mark chapter 10. The part of Scripture that we'll be focusing on this morning is Mark 10, verse 35 to 45, where James and John ask for greatness in Jesus' kingdom. And as a context for that, we'll read verse 13 to the end of the chapter. Mark chapter 10, we'll start reading at verse 13. In this part of Mark's gospel, Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem, where he has told his disciples that he's going to suffer and and die. And along the road, he has been teaching his disciples. And that's where we find our reading this morning. We'll start reading at Mark 10, verse 13. And they were bringing children to him, Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, 
And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it is has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to them and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning we'll be focusing on verse 35 to 45, which we've just read. So I won't read that again, but I encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we work through this portion of Scripture together. Well, dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, when I was growing up, we often had chooks, and I remember when we got new chooks, they often spent a few days fighting with the old ones. Perhaps you've seen this as well. I'm sure that some of you have chooks in your backyard. Well, the old chooks, they need to let the newbies know who is boss. They establish their superiority. And so what do they do? They peck these new chooks, 
and let the younger chickens know their place in the pecking order. Now, the old birds, they have the right to peck the young ones, and the young ones, they have to submit to the authority of those higher up in the hierarchy. Such a pecking order is not unique to chickens. The Roman Empire had a a pecking order as well. At the top was the emperor. Underneath him were the senators and the other governor people. And then there were the normal citizens. And underneath that were the soldiers. And finally, there were the slaves at the bottom. And in the Roman Empire, it was normal for people to fight their way to the top. They pecked their way to power. You can see a pecking order today in, in our society as well. As an example, in the world of business, people will fight their way for the top. And the sad reality is that this pecking order mentality, it can also infiltrate into the church and even exist among God's people. There can be sometimes a a sort of one-upmanship, where you tell a story and I need to tell a better story. Your fish was this big, mine was bigger. Even in subtle ways, even in conversations, we can elevate ourselves and our own experiences and diminish others. We want to be recognized. We want to be important more than others. And so we easily assert ourselves or our own opinions, even in normal conversations. Or we can post the pictures on social media that will get us the greatest recognition from our friends. Even in small, subtle ways, we we put ourselves as high on the pecking order as possible. We want to be great, important, and recognized. Well, Christ speaks to this human desire for greatness. And this morning, He shows to us another way. He shows to us a better way, and that is the path of service. We'll see this morning that Jesus calls us to follow His path to greatness And we'll see our text with three different parts this morning. We'll first see the request for greatness. Then we'll see that Jesus teaches the route to greatness. And finally, we'll see that He Himself is the role model for greatness. Well, if you were here last week with us, you would have seen that chapter 8 is a major turning point in Mark's gospel. As Jesus began to teach them that He was going to suffer. In the first part of his gospel, Mark has shown that Jesus is the authoritative Messiah, the one who has authority as the Son of God. And now in the second half, Jesus shows himself to be a suffering servant. Together with his disciples, he is on the road to Jerusalem where he would suffer and die. And on this road, Jesus has been teaching about discipleship, about what it means to follow him. Last week we saw that it meant they would have to deny themselves, to take up their cross, that following Christ is a path of self-denial, which involves shame and reproach. Well, the disciples are still on a different wavelength in chapter 10. We see that from their request of James and John in verse 35 of our text. They come to Jesus and ask that He would do whatever they ask of Him. They ask for a, a blank check. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And this is what they say, we want to sit with you in glory, one at your right hand and one at your left. And this request, it reveals a profound misunderstanding of Jesus' mission, of everything that He's been teaching them along this road to Jerusalem. We read through a good part of chapter 10 together, and and Jesus has been teaching about what it means to follow Him, 
It means coming to Jesus like a child. You come with no merit. There's nothing that you've done. There's nothing in yourself that qualifies you for the kingdom. In fact, it's your very empty-handedness that qualifies you. The only qualification to be a follower of Christ is to have no qualification. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Well, that was a hard lesson for the, the rich young ruler because he came to Jesus with a lot of personal stuff. And in the eyes of the world, he was well qualified. He had kept the commands of God from a young age. And you would think that if this man, out of all people, was worthy of eternal life, surely God would look on him with favor. Perhaps you know people like this as well. They attend all the Bible studies, they attend church faithfully, they keep God's commandments well, as far as you can see. Well, Jesus looked at this man, and, and there is that beautiful description of our Savior, that He looked at him and He loved him. He loved this man so much that He taught him to give up his possessions and to take up his cross and to follow Him. He loved this man so much that He taught him the true path of discipleship, which is to come to Jesus with empty hands, with everything, to be willing to forego everything for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And so that's the lesson Jesus has been teaching His disciples. Following Him means coming with no merit, being willing to leave behind everything, being willing to suffer with Him, just as Jesus told the rich man to give up everything and take up His cross. And then in verse 32 to 34, Jesus had again predicted his death. This is the third time that Jesus now predicts that he's going to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. And he makes it clear in startling detail what's going to happen once they get to Jerusalem. There is not going to be a throne of honor, but a betrayal to the authorities. He wouldn't be hailed as a king, but he would be mocked. He would be spat upon. And now James and John... Three times after Jesus has said He's going to Jerusalem to suffer and to die, now they reveal this profound misunderstanding by asking Jesus for positions of honor. They have not yet understood who Jesus is, that He would establish His kingdom through suffering. They didn't grasp that He would establish His kingdom through the cross, and that at His right hand and at His left hand would be two condemned criminals. They haven't understood the, part, the nature of Jesus' mission. But further, their request, it shows that they also haven't given up their selfish ambition. Like the rich young ruler, they wanted to follow Jesus and have riches. They wanted to follow Jesus and have honor. Now, you might remember that, that James and John were part of Jesus' special three. Peter, James, and John, they were privileged to be the closest friends of Christ. They were the ones who went in with him when he raised the daughter of Jairus in chapter 6. They were the ones who were privileged to go up on the mountain with him in chapter 9 when he was transfigured. They were privileged to see his glory. They were the special friends of Christ. And maybe they thought that this gave them an edge over the other disciples, that they would be able to have a, a higher position because they were Jesus' chief men. You know, King David had his three mighty men, 
They did their impressive deeds in battle and they received great honor. You can read about that in 2 Samuel 23. Or maybe James and John thought about David's three mighty men and they thought, maybe when Jesus, the great son of David, sets up his kingdom in Israel, we can be great like those warriors of old. And further, James and John also had a, a connection to the high priest. They had friends in high places. John 18, 15 suggests that they were known by the high priest and somehow related to him. They thought that they had connections which would qualify them for this great position in Jesus' kingdom. Did you notice how they exclude Peter in their request? They try and get an edge over him. And that's what selfish ambition does. It excludes others as we try and put ourselves at the top. Our own egos naturally squash others as we try and assert ourselves as high as we can on the pecking order. We see their misunderstanding. They've understood, misunderstood the nature of Christ's mission, that He first came to suffer and die before He would be raised. And they failed to grasp that we can only come to Jesus with empty hands by denying ourselves and giving up our selfish ambition. And brothers and sisters, if we take an honest look at our own hearts this morning, don't we see there the same selfish motives of James and John? They wanted to be at the top of the pecking order, and, and so often we do too. We want to be number one. We want others to respect and, and admire us. The request of these brothers, it might seem shocking to us, but what ought to be more shocking is our own hearts, that without the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, we are no different. Well, that's the request for greatness and in response to their request, Jesus shows them the route to true greatness. Let's now consider His response. In verse 38, Jesus tells them they don't know what they're asking are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I'm to be baptized with? What is this cup that Jesus is talking about? Well, in the, in the Old Testament, a cup often referred to God's judgment. For example, Psalm 11, upon the wicked, God would rain coals, fire and brimstone and a, fern, a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. God's judgment was in a cup. Isaiah 51 also talks about the cup of God's fury. It's a cup that contains God's wrath, His anger, against which He will punish sin. Well, later on in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus pleads with His Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before He's crucified, Mark 14, take this cup away from me. And so the cup that Jesus is talking about here, it's, it's a cup of immense and eternal suffering, the cup which contains the wrath of God. And his baptism is a reference to the same thing. Luke 12, 50, 
Christ says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. He's talking about the suffering that he's going to experience in Jerusalem as he drinks the cup of God's wrath. It was something that even brought him great distress. Are you able to take that, Jesus says to his disciples? James and John reckon they can handle it. And Jesus tells them, in verse 39, that they will share His cup and they will be baptized with His baptism. They would not share the weight of God's wrath as their master would, but there was a cup of suffering for them to drink. As we saw last week, following the Lord Jesus is to follow Him down a path of suffering. And we can see that in both of their lives later on. We see that in the life of James. Acts chapter 12 records for us that James was the target of early persecution in the church. Acts 12, verse 1 and 2, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church, and then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. James was one of the first to die a martyr's death for the sake of Christ. He was truly one who shared the cup of Christ and died for his Lord. And John would also drink from that cup of suffering. He was exiled on Patmos, and that was where he wrote the book of Revelation. And he wrote in Revelation 1.9, he says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Christ. He shared in the tribulation the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. He too drank from that cup of suffering promised for all who follow Christ. But to give them positions of honor in his kingdom was not for Christ to give. It is for those for whom it has been prepared, he says in verse 30. Now, when the other disciples hear about this request, they are indignant. It seems from the way Jesus responds to them in verse 30, 42, that they are indignant because James and John have gotten in first. They want the top position. James and John, how dare you call shotgun for the top seats? How dare you get first dibs? You see that their indignation, it's jealous and self-centered. How vastly different is that from the indignant Jesus in verse 14? That's the same word in the original. He was greatly displeased when the disciples blocked the way for the children to come to Him. That was something that made Jesus upset. He was angry when the disciples blocked the access to Him. But the disciples, on the other hand, were angry for selfish reasons. So how does Christ respond? Well, this is a teaching moment for all of them about power and greatness in the kingdom of God. And in verse 42, He calls His disciples to Himself, and He explains that for all of them as His followers, it will be very different than power structures in the world. Rather than lording it over others, trying to peck others lower down in the pecking order and establish your own superiority... He says, rather than stepping on the toes of others as you climb higher up the social ladder, on the ladder of business or politics, become a servant, become a slave. Now, sl servants were the lowest caste in Roman society. Slaves were right at the bottom of the ladder. Become one of those, says the Lord Jesus. This is the route to greatness become a servant. If you want to get to the top, go to the bottom. 
It's counterintuitive, isn't it? And that's the route to greatness that our Lord Jesus teaches us. And to bring it home, Christ shows that He Himself is an example of such service. And that brings us to Mark 10, verse 45, which is a key verse in the entire gospel account, and it explains so much of Mark's gospel, and it tells us so much about our Savior, who is the role model of greatness. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His, ver- his life as a ransom for many. If you're looking for a verse to memorize in this coming week, well, this is a great one. Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. He didn't come to be served, to receive honor and glory in this life. As we saw last week, He deliberately told His disciples to to keep it a secret that He was a Messiah. Honor was not yet to be His. Jesus didn't come to have the nicest seat at social gatherings, He didn't come to do the least chores around the house. Jesus didn't even come to to have His feet washed by His disciples. No, He came to serve. And service was something that characterized His entire life. Service to God and service to others. And one of the clearest examples of this service is seen in John chapter 13, where Jesus washes the feet of His disciples. Now, this is a wonderful passage, and it begins by saying that Jesus, knowing that He'd come from the Father, that He was going back to the Father, and that He had received the kingdom, and then it explains the foot washing. In other words, Jesus, knowing His authority as the Son of God, used this authority to serve His disciples. He literally got down on His hands and knees and washed the feet of His disciples. He took the position of a slave, the bottom rung, the lowest place in the pecking order. It's an astonishing thing that foot washing was often considered by Jews as something which was too degrading for Jewish slaves. It was something that only Gentile slaves were to do. Jesus took that task and He accomplished it to serve His disciples. Behold your loving Saviour, dear people of God. This is our God, the Servant King. Christ is the greatest example of service. As He said in John 13, He said, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So what is true greatness? It's seen in the self-emptying of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the role model of greatness. Greatness is found in humble service. It's an astonishing thing, beloved, that the greatest king of heaven laid aside his heavenly glory. Philippians 2 says that he did not count equality with God as something to be held onto, that high position, something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. That's our Savior. Perhaps you've heard the saying, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. The idea is that when people are put in positions of authority or power, it reveals their self-serving heart and they become corrupt. They'll use their position of power for their own gain. And so often, that's exactly what happens. People become ruler or king or president and they start to use it that position for their own self-serving ends. But beloved, the most powerful human being, our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the one who had all authority in heaven and on earth, he used his power as the Son of God, not for himself, but for others. We see that in our chapter as well. He used his power to serve, especially the little people, the people who could not help themselves, the children, for example, the children who were to be seen and not heard, who weren't regarded as important, especially by the disciples. Don't take up the precious time of our important rabbi. But Jesus used his authority to serve them. Let the little children come to me. And he used his authority to serve Bartimaeus, another man that people rushed by and and largely ignored. And when this blind beggar started to call out to Jesus, people tried to smother his cries. The master is too important for someone like you, Bartimaeus. You notice the similarity between Bartimaeus and the children. People didn't think that they were important enough for Jesus. But Jesus, again, used his authority to bring healing and hope to this poor beggar. He was the powerful king, but Christ did not use his authority to be served. He was not corrupted by power, not even absolute power, but he used it to serve those around him. And ultimately, he used it to give up his life. That was the ultimate self act of self-emptying. Because he's not only the role model of greatness, but he's so much more. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom. Now, this statement, it recalls some phrases from Isaiah chapter 53, the great chapter in the Old Testament, which teaches about the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. Allow me to read a few sections from that chapter. Verse 6, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 11, by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. And verse 12, he was numbered with the transgressors and bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He has become a ransom for us, for many. That is a payment on our behalf. He has borne our sin. What is true greatness? Beloved, it's seen in the self-emptying of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He drank that cup. He drank, he was baptized with that baptism of the wrath of God against all of our sin. And beloved, that includes our sin of selfish ambition. It includes our self-centeredness, our desire to elevate ourselves on the pecking order and peck others down. Jesus drank the cup of God's punishment for all of that. He gave his life as a ransom for many. That's true greatness. God calls us this morning to embrace that message in faith and to believe that He has ransomed us, that He has paid for our sin of selfishness. Brothers and sisters, behold your Savior who has ransomed you. And His great self-emptying love It also motivates us now to to give our lives in service. The love of Christ compels us, says Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, because we are convinced that He has died for us, so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for Him. Now, Paul is himself a great example of one who dedicated his life to the service of the Lord. 
Paul used to live for himself. He writes about that in chapter Galatians chapter 1. He says, I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation. Paul was climbing higher and higher up the, the social ladder. But then Christ changed his life. He revealed to him his glory so that Paul understood himself to be a sinner in need of forgiveness. He could never make it to the top of that ladder. But he understood that he was in need of ransom. He believed in faith also that he was one of those many for whom Christ had died. And that changed everything for him. Changed the way that Paul looked at the world. He no longer wanted to live for his own glory. But now, he says in 1 Corinthians 9, he made himself a servant of everyone that he might win them for Christ. And elsewhere, he says, we don't preach ourselves, but we preach Christ as Lord and ourselves, your bondservants, for Christ's sake. Paul made himself a servant for the sake of the gospel and willingly gave his life to serve. That's greatness. It's found in service. Service to God and to others. Well, beloved, this has great implications for leaders in the church. The world has their way of of leadership. It often involves backstabbing, self-centeredness, and an assertion of egos. But Christ says, that is not to be the way among you. Perhaps Peter was reflecting on this very saying of Jesus when he wrote later in 1 Peter 5 to the elders. He said, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Well, brothers, as leaders in the church, we're called to wash feet. It's not about our status. We don't become elders or deacons to make ourselves look good. It's not about us at all. That's why we talk about serving in the offices of the church. Christ calls us to follow Him in service. It's a good thing to remember as the the work in the church again begins for for another year. A good thing for all of us to remember that the elders and deacons are, are here and the minister are here to, to serve us through, through the work that they do. But it has implications also for all of us this morning. That Christ calls all of us to this life of service, to wash each other's feet. The gospel comes with that calling to become a slave. The church of Jesus Christ is not a place for egos, but it's a place where we serve each other. If I have washed your feet, says the Lord Jesus, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should walk as I have done. And brothers and sisters, isn't this a beautiful thing when when you actually do see this life of service in the church, when we don't look out for our own interests, but for the interests of others? And doesn't it truly show evidence of a a loving community when we esteem others better than ourselves and when we have the same mindset that Christ had? Isn't that a compelling witness to the world? When we willingly put ourselves lower, taking that form of a slave and, and serving our brothers and sisters. And so I want to ask you this afternoon, how could you serve? 
there are many opportunities that God gives us to build up our brothers and sisters. It's also good for us to reflect as we begin another, another year. There are a lot of different opportunities to, to be involved in the church and to get to know your brothers and sisters, to come to Bible studies and to, to learn and to grow together. There are many opportunities to get to know people, and as you get to know people, you have the opportunity to serve them in different ways. What are the opportunities that God has given you? How can you wash the feet of those around you? Well, beloved, Christ calls us this morning to follow His path to greatness and to have His mindset. May His Spirit equip us more and more to deny ourselves and to serve others, to give up our selfish ambition and to aim to lift others up rather than peck them down. And may we we all lovingly trust our Savior who has not only shown us the path but has walked that path for us. To Him be all glory and honor. To Him be the highest position of praise for He was slain for us. Amen.